Hi there, all listeners to Worldwide FM. It's Quinton Scott here, Strut Records, and we're back in for another uh, monthly show. And we've got a really good one for you today. So, uh, going to be talking to one of the great characters of New York music, Man Parrish, uh, who many of you know from hip hop, bebop, and electro classics like Boogie Down Bronx. Um, we're going to look in deep into his career. We're going to look at his uh, work with Klaus Nomi some of the DIY productions he made in his bedroom studio during the early days and then we take it all the way through to the film soundtracks that he's made in more recent years um, and um, lots of great stories in between so I hope you enjoy this um, we're going to hand over the mic to him for the rest of the show um, so it's two hours of Man Parish words and music um, hope you enjoy it
to remember back then New York City was a very big city small town um, there were very few clubs very few discos very few rock and roll bars so if you hung out someplace chances are everybody else hung out there too that was cool interesting eclectic <laughs> non dysfunctional like like I was so when things happened they happened among those crowds so you were probably part of them or a friend or Hey, why don't you come along? Or, hey, you could do music. Why don't you dot, dot, dot? I wanted to be an actor. I went to high school performing arts with movie famous, but somehow music became really important. And I didn't have a trend. Those days it would have been a transistor radio, little nine volt, you know, Tandy radio. I didn't have one. So I had to go searching for music. So when, where did I go? There was no place to go. There wasn't the internet. Let's put it that way. The internet in those days were libraries and, I somehow I figured out that certain libraries in Manhattan had music collections and you can get a pair of headphones and put a needle down on a record. And I went into the electronic section and that became Stockhouse and uh, Bob Margulis, Tonka's head, head, John Cage, Steve Wright. Well, Steve Wright was a little later, Philip Glass. You know, it was st that kind of minimalism was starting to happen. So that heavily influenced me all the way up until a couple of like last year, two years ago, I was at, um, invited to do something at MoMA. I did an installation and it was, is music art. So music is music, but music can also be art. And I know that sounds pretentious, but you know, is it art? That's the question I was asking. Is it art? Does art have to be a visual on the wall or it could be the sound that fills the four walls? So I've always been out on an edge. <laughs>
Thank <laughs> you.
I had pink, purple hair, pink hair. Each week it would change. I would get crazy color from um, the UK. My friend Sherry Fanella got it because Bowie had it. And she would, they would order it and she'd get some and I'd get some. And I was one of the first people in New York with pink, purple, green hair. And I'd have pink hair and a man's shirt and a tie. I was butch on the top. And then from the waist down, I'd have a skirt, uh, canary yellow capizios and, 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 and I, mean, I mean, canary yellow tights and some blue ballet slippers. And I remember walking the dance interior. I lived on 38th and 5th. And that's when 42nd Street was all pips. And these kids were coming around the block, smashing the, uh, the storefronts. And I was on the other side of the street. The street was completely empty with three cars. And I thought, boy, I'm going to get my butt kicked. And they took one look at me and I took one look at them and they crossed the street to the other side because <laughs> this freak was walking up. The <laughs> and funny enough, years later, Bowie's manager was my manager. And I, I was more, I wasn't conservative, but I wasn't dressing like that because I didn't need to. And by that time I was tired. And I went back to some of the clubs like Dancing Terry and they didn't recognize me because I didn't have pink hair and a skirt on. I had, <laughs> you know, I was dressed kind of like a, a new wave, whatever it was in the 80s, you know, and I was like, Howie, it's me. Like, I go back to Brooklyn, you know what I mean? Go back to the suburb. I'm like, it's my passion. Oh, I didn't recognize you. You weren't wearing purple hair and a skirt, you know. <laughs> Later on in the 80s, the New Wave Vaudeville show was, I want to say 1981, 82. And I was in it with somebody called Lance Loud. He had um, 
They were the first reality TV show on public access television here in the U.S., a national public television. And um, we became friends. And uh, he lived at the um, Chelsea Hotel where, um, oh, all these freaks and artists. And uh, we did a version of Anarchy in the U.K., Disco was dead, but we did a disco Giorgio Moroder version of Anarchy in the UK. I couldn't figure out the notes because I can't still read or write music. And he went down the hall of the hotel. He said, let me bring these people in. And it was Sid and Nancy. And I didn't, Sid and Nancy who? You know, I mean, I'm doing Anarchy in the UK. I don't even know who wrote it, right? You know, I knew the song, but I didn't know it was a sex whistle. And, 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 Sid, and Sid came in with this skanky girl and it was Nancy. And they sat, he sat there and smoking cigarettes, smelling of, you know, piss or whatever. He stunk, I remember that. And, and he showed me the chords to the thing. That that night we performed at the New Wave Broadway show. We were sitting backstage uh, in the dressing room, and I hear this opera music, and I thought, oh, it's a couple of like drag queens lip syncing opera. And someone comes in, you have to see this, you have to see this, it's a sky. They're singing live, that's not a record. And, um, it, uh, Irving Plaza has a balcony, and we, we came out back and we're looking on the balcony. Klaus is standing there in a clear plastic raincoat, um, his hair was cut like a crown. There was three points on his hair because he was the king of what he was doing, uh, or the queen, whatever. <laughs> and he had a little smoke pot machine and, and a strobe light. And he was singing, and the place went quiet. I thought, this guy's going to get an ashtray thrown at him, you know? But the place was absolutely quiet. I had not known that there is a legitimate um, uh, style. I, and I don't, contra tenor, I think it is. I'm not good with my classical even though i worked at the opera house the Metropolitan opera house when i was in school um as an extra on stage uh, uh th this was a type of singing it wasn't castrati if you know what that is it, it, it's some sort of a, a man that sings in a woman's range and it's somewhat acceptable in opera and klaus was one of those and afterwards everybody's like oh my god you're incredible incredible and a little not, not antisocial socially dysfunctional so i set up to the side and Klaus came up to you, he goes, yeah, I like your music. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, I want to do this like a Donna Summer, you know, uh, Giorgio Moroda. And I said, oh, yeah, okay. So we became friends. Okay. I see you. 
I have a loft in Midtown Manhattan, and a lot of people wanted to record demos, and I was the guy with the recording equipment and synthesizers, so everybody wound up in my space. I had a synthesizer set up. Um, I, I don't know. Well, one of the things I knew how I bought, but most of it is like I did odd jobs, and you know, I'll do a demo and give me $50, and I would put it towards a synthesizer. I remember there was an ARP 2600 synthesizer, about two or $3,000, and you know, I was not talking to my parents. I only called them when I needed money. I was living away from home and I said, Mom, I need, you know, $2,500 for a synthesizer. But I mean, you're not getting that. I said, well, if you don't give it to me, I'm going to become a male prostitute and sell drugs. And that's how I'm going to get it. She said, let me speak to your father. <laughs> <laughs>
Milk was, um, wow, you're digging for the uh, the B-sides. Wow. Good on you. That's some good good stuff. Yeah, I'm happy. Um, I was signed to a label called Import 12. They also had Sugar Scoop. And I can't remember that other label that Milk was on. Um, and they said, do you want to remix this? And I said, um, okay, can I get $50? I need to eat because instead of peanut butter, I may have had tuna fish. <laughs> and um, I listened to it. And I thought it was kind of cool. I wasn't a disco bunny. I grew up on, you know, uh, new uh, rock and roll, new wave, you know, uh, stuff. So I understood what he was trying to do. And I thought I would just electrify it. And um it was for the record label, and I probably got $50, maybe $100, and I was able to eat for that next week or so. Those weren't um, brainstorm toiling over my art. Those, those were um, factory records. I, I'm, I'm a factory, and I need to eat. I need to feed myself or pay rent. And it's not that I didn't want to do it or didn't care about it. Some of the best stuff I've done is stuff that I didn't think about. I just let flow. So if you like those records, it's probably because I didn't think too much about it. I just did what I did. I'm staring at you. And I know you can tell. I'm under your spell. Now let me ride. Your hot rod to hell. You stare out at the empty highway. I sit there thinking about that big bulge in your pants. You press your foot to the floor. Somewhere on a deserted beach, the waves on the shore. Sound just like the rain that falls. You don't rush when you're alone. I know you do. You like to feel that explode after a hard day on the road. I'd like to have your warmth shoved into my mouth while you reach over me. You get on your sick day. I feel a rush when you tell your buddies to stop at bars and drink up some beer Because we got ourselves queer We stop at a roadside motel where we all eat Near the water at the end of some Chelsea street And in some room I drink a lot of beer and get slapped around a lot And I'm real thankful for what I got Watch me drink off and I laugh at my group. Then you all feed me some. But then I'm kicked and beaten until my life ends. And it's a shame you have done this. We could have been friends. I'm a, I'm a 14, 15, 16 year old boy, and somebody comes up to me and says, You want to do music for a porn movie? And I'm like, Oh my God, yeah, I'm going to watch a movie and get horny and write music. How cool is that? 
and I never got to see the movie. They just said, I need 15 minutes here and 10 minutes there and five minutes there. It's like in that cartoon where it goes, wah, wah, you know, I didn't get to see the porn movie until years later, you know what I mean? But I did the music for it. And uh, Joe Gage was a guy who was doing artsy porn. Back then he was a, he was a filmmaker and an artist, you know, and compared to today's porn, you know, it's barely porn. It's sort of like groping and there may be some oral sex or touching, but that was it. There wasn't, you know, what else could we stuff in there kind of porn that there is today. <laughs> so um, it was an, it's like an art porn film in a weird way. It's all about the story. I mean, who watches porn for the stories? You know, but it was a story, you know, and um, uh, I was very much still, and I, I had to do a I had to do a title track called Heat Stroke, and that was the name of the that one of the particular films, or the one that I got most attention on. And I thought I need a song. What am I going to let me go to Patrick Cowley? And he's got um, I can't remember the name of the song. I said I'm going to just rip this off. There was a club in New York called the Anvil. It's a small place, and my song comes on, and I go up to DJ booth, uh, which was above the crowd, and I walk up to the stairs to the, the raised DJ booth, and he goes, no, 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 no. Um, no request. I said, I'm not requesting. I said, that's my song. He goes, what do you mean? I said, that's my song from Heatstroke, the movie. How did you get it? He goes, you did this? I said, yes. He said, well, um, there's a there's a, um, a DJ subscription service called Disconnect. They send out records every month to DJs, and they want to find out who did this because they want to include this to go out to all these DJs. And I said, oh, he goes, I'll take you to the guy tomorrow. And literally the next day I was in a cab, went out there and I signed a one page, half a paragraph. It wasn't even a page, it was a paragraph. With, we own you, your firstborn, your grandmother's furniture, the whole nine yards. And, uh, and I was like, well, don't I have to take this to a, don't I have to take this to a lawyer? And he said, well, you could, but I might not be interested by the time you come back to the lawyer. Come on, buddy. Hey, just sign it. What's the big deal? And, um, you know, I, uh, that was, <laughs> I'm still fighting that, that to get my rights back on some of that. Sound downtown. Pocket full of money 
Hip Hop Bebop was a, uh, since I was, I don't know how to write music to this day. I do it all by ear. I produce, I've done 150 tracks. I can I can score for orchestras and film scores, showing to choir, I, 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 but it's all done by ear. Um, I was doing a lot of, now it's called ambient music, but I used to call it um, soundscapes because it didn't have a name. So I was experimenting with sound and when the 808 drum machine came out, finally you can program drums instead of having a little beep beep pop a beep pop pop that you have in your mom's organ, you know, when they would practice it in the living room. That's what was available until Roland came out with the 808 drum machine. Suddenly you can make drum patterns. And I'm, okay, and craft work was getting popular and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So hip hop bebop was a an art. I hate the word art because it's so pretentious, but I don't know what other words to use, but it was a sound experiment with rhythm and sounds, right? Um, that's the part of me is it's sound art, you know what I mean? Does it have to be a song? So that's what that was. And then that was later constructed in editing afterwards. So we took those eight basic tracks over to Vanguard Studios, 24 tracks, and now we had 16 more tracks to play with. And we put on dog barks and there's a quick story behind that i'll tell you in a second and we put on hey 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 just said looking at the your watch hey 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 for five minutes ho 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 because we had an empty track <laughs> what else can we do i don't know you know and we filled the tracks up and there must have been five or ten mixes with different tracks turned on and off variations let's put it that way um <clears throat> or dubs as people would say of the song and it went to the owner's, um, the record company owner's um, apartment and he spent the, him and Raul spent the weekend with beer, coke and MDA, which is heroin. And they just tweaked themselves for three days to edit it and they played me this track and I said, what's that? And they said, that's your song. And I said, well, that's not going on my album. And they said, of course it is. It's brilliant. I said, it's not brilliant. There's no verse. Of course, you can't go, hey, hey, ho, ho, don't stop. I mean, that's when, you know, songs like uh, Situation, yeah, it's new. I said, there's no song structure here. I'm going to be laughing stock. Oh, don't worry. And it took off. Uh, well, the reason, uh, 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 I'll get to the dog barks, I promise you. The reason it took off is because the record company owner would stuff little bags of heroin coke and da in the sleeves and asked could you please report this record on the chart so he was stuffing drugs into every album you know single that, and, and sent it off to billboard reporting djs and it went up the charts that day so it was payola and drugs <laughs> back in the day and that's how they got stuff done the dog parks there was a place called um the funhouse in new york city and um john jelly benitez uh, would dj there and it was the quote-unquote street club. It was urban. It was uh, largely Latin, Latin, Black, Spanish, uh, kids from the projects and stuff. <clears throat> and they had an incredible sound system. And we would take records to Jelly Bean to um, just just to play. To hear. It's a mix, okay. And he was friendly and he would do it. Uh, the, the dressing room was the size of a, a medium-sized apartment. And not the dressing room, the DJ booth in those days that had a bar and a refrigerator and like three or four couches, you know, and a TV set. And he was on the other side. There was a hole in the wall and his back was to us and he's playing. And there was a girl with black hair, uh, hairy armpits who stunk. And we called her the skank. And she had a t-shirt on that says, I'm Madonna. <laughs> and it was. <laughs> That's before she got anyway. Um, but we... Uh, 
I remember he played one of the records and they was barking, whoop, 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 whoop. And I went, I said, what, what, what's that, what's that? And Rose, and he goes, that's when they approve your stuff, they kind of bark. And I said, why don't we put that on Hip Hop Bebop just as a goof? We're going to bark at the kids before they get to bark at us and freak them out. How cool would that be? A record with barking. And it was just meant for this one club. And they put it on, the place exploded, and and and, 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 and we went back, you know, like a week or two later with a, with a wax pressing, you know, and said, like, that's it. Oh, God. I'm like, oh, my God. We may have said, you're still not putting it on my record because there's no verse in the chorus that doesn't sound like a Vince Clark Erasure song. You know what I mean? You're not going to embarrass me. <laughs>
we used to rent a $100,000 computer that we couldn't afford. If we rented it on Friday, they would only charge us one night, but we get it Friday, Saturday, Sunday, return it Monday. And we would record, put it together Friday, Saturday, go to the studio, put it take Sunday, leave it at the studio, and they'd come Monday morning at 7 a.m. and pick it up and it only charges $50. So there's a lot of records that I worked on. Um, IRT, uh, uh, Watch the Closing Doors, Two Sisters, High Noon. I wrote a lot of that album, um, uh, 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 High Noon and Be Boys Beware. And, you know, that was some girl that Raul was sleeping with. We needed a singer.
So I lived in a mostly white neighborhood. You know, that's a dirty word now. But in those days, I was living in a white Italian neighborhood. And there was one black kid in the neighborhood. And his dad was managed the, um, the multi-story apartment building in Brooklyn. And everybody knew him. He was cool. You know, there was no racial hatred or whatever. And he knew I did uh, hip-hop bebop. And it was maybe a year later or something. I had... Um, did I... I I don't know if I left the record company by then or was just getting ready to leave the record company because I hadn't been paid. He used to sit on my front steps and every time I walked in, they, uh, there's Matt Paris in Cool Raul, cooler than the water in the swimming pool. And I'm like, all right, dude, yeah, hey, yo, what's up? Yeah, my bro, you know, whatever. So we, 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 we did this record in my bedroom um, and we wanted to do a street record and it came down to, well... Are you going to call that girl that you're sleeping with to sing on this? Or, you know, who do I know? I, I know Ke this other guy, Kevin, but he's so white, it would turn it into a ballad. You know what I mean? So what are we going to do? And, 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 and I said, well, why don't we get that guy downstairs to rhyme on this record? And you're going to do a rap record? You can't do a rap record. You're a, you're a gay white guy. You know, oh, come on. I said, come on, come on. Let's just get him, get him. All right, all right, all right. And he came upstairs and I said, John, his name is John Carter. I can't afford to pay you. I don't even know if I'm going to get paid. I don't want you to say yes until you think about this. I would like you to be on this record because I hearing what you're doing is good. But I don't know or even think you're ever going to get paid. Please take a moment and think about that. If you want to do this, I'm not getting paid. Probably if you want to do it, it'd be great. You'd be on a record, but I'm not selling you on this. This has to be your choice. And, said, yeah, yeah, I'd like to do it. I'd like to do it. At least I could show my friends that I've been on a record. Said, okay. And he, 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 he rhymed on it. And I think it was done in one take. And then I rewound the tape and I passed his voice coming out of the tape recorder into a vocoder and played behind it. Apparently no one had done that before. I didn't know. I was just trying to make it more like craft work, you know what I mean? Or make it more stinty. And that blew up because it had a sound to it, you know? And if you listen to the dub side, there's all kinds of funny hyena. <laughs> all the, I mean, I was a clown, so I was putting silly, at that time it was my first sampler, very new sampler. I was putting silly stuff on there just to have fun with the record. Everybody boogie down, boogie down. 
water in a swimming pool I like a R to the A, the U, and the L Pushing more power than a Duracell I like the L to the A, the N, and the Y The hip-hop method that you can't deny So check out the beat and listen to the sound And if you're from the Bronx, just boogie down Thank you. 
Rebel, what do you think you're doing? When, when Mail Stripper came out, we were on BBC on uh, Top of the Pops. And the guys, lift, they told them no, no shenanigans. The guys lifted their shirt and took their outer shirt off and started showing their chest. And BBC got so many complaints, we got banned. And of course, back in those days, when you're banned, you go to number one. <laughs>
It's a song that I absolutely love, that I've never stopped loving. That's my hip-hop bebop. Vince Clark is great. I just wish he wasn't so weird because I'd love to, you know, talk to him one day uh, or hang out. But um, that is a from a synthesizer, synthesis point of view, there's perfect counterpoint, perfect harmony. There are sequences that are running counterpoint. Like it's, it's, it's a piece of ticking clockwork of perfection. It's just Swiss watch of music. And uh, forget about Alton Moyes vocal, just listening to the background track. And uh, Giorgio Moroda and, and, and Situation, these are all craft work. These are all pieces of fine, you know, Swiss watches that click clack in perfect condition and make music.
those are me working out my my pain, my the the, the, the deep side of me that I don't know how to. Well, now I could talk about it, but before I had therapy, it's like something's. I get this out, you know. It's like, and I didn't know I'm getting it out, but ooh, dark, beautiful drones and whooshes, and you put on headphones and you close your eyes. I worked at the Metropolitan Opera House at 14 years old when I was at the high school performing arts fame, the Fame High School. They did the movie, and at night I would go to the Metropolitan Opera House and get paid ten dollars to stand on stage as a non-singing part of Spear Carrier, which is a funny story. We took acid one day and stepped in horse poop. That's a whole other story uh, on stage because we were tripping our brains out. But when I do music, I'm sitting in the back of that opera house and I'm looking down at the stage and, you know, is the sound to the left? Is it to the right? Is it way back there? Is it in front of me? Suddenly I have this mental 3D space in my brain. And when I do this music, I try to take advantage of that. Is stuff moving? Is it wide? Is it narrow? Does it whoosh past you? Is it dull to bright, bright to dull? And all those happening at the same time creates waves and feelings of sound. And that's what that's about.
Worldwide FM, you've been listening to Man Parish, uh, and we're going to finish the show with uh, a brand new track, an exclusive uh, for you um, from his new album, a track called Shedding My Skin. I uh, hope you've enjoyed it today. Um, thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next month. Oh,
you know, nobody understands what the hell you're doing. And then years later, they say, oh, but you're, 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 you're an innovator and, you know, you're, you're a legend. I'm like, no, I was just some kid that was trying to figure out how to do music. And based on what I listened to and the tools that I ha had in my hand, that's what I did. I wasn't out to do anything incredible. I was just making music with what I had. ワールドアイド FM, ワールドアイド FM.